Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the creator behind the outstanding Notes app, Drafts, Greg Pierce. Greg, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. Uh, this has been, <laughs> we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but this one has been kind of uh, kind of drawn out. I think I've canceled on you multiple times because of kids and snow days and maybe some family things uh, you had to cancel on me. And then I almost messed up and canceled on you again today. So... Uh, <sighs> It feels yeah, I like think we first uh, talked about it back in December or something yeah, that yeah. we were going to schedule um, it. And here we are in, in April. But it worked out because uh, we're kind of coming right after your big 10-year anniversary of drafts being in, in the App Store. Is that correct? Did it start in the App Store? Yeah, that's the, the 1.0, which was iPhone only originally launched uh, April 7th of 2012. So wow. it's been quite a journey. I'm trying to think back. I guess Peacock is probably... Either that or older, older, isn't it? Yeah, I think he, I don't know if he was quite day one, but he was literally the first week or something. So yeah. I guess the app store launched in 2010. And I had done a couple of other smaller apps prior to drafts, but uh, um, yeah, so a couple of years into the app store, but Man. still pretty early. Yeah, that's, I mean, congratulations. Running anything for that long is impressive. Uh, the app store and it's rapid uh, rise and constant changing, I think, makes that all the more impressive. So uh, that's really exciting. I'm excited to get into that. Yeah. But first, I want to introduce everybody to who you are. So the questions I ask everybody at the beginning of this is, where are you from? Uh, do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then we can talk about your career that led up to drafts. Sure. Um, well, I grew up in Maryland in the D.C. suburbs uh, and bounced around in my college years a few different places and ended up uh, settling in Texas. I met my wife down here when I was in grad school in the early 90s. So I've been here close to 30 years now. Um, and dallas fort worth area more or less um as for formal education i mean that's i think when you first thought of that question you probably were thinking around stem or computers or software i'd know i have i've never taken any formal classes in software development um my bachelor's degree is in music, actually. Um, oh, nice. And then I was in grad school in folk studies and ethnomusicology, um, none of which sound very related to what I do now. But I would also not say that I don't have benefits from that edu education, especially as an undergrad. I did. I was in a music business program, uh, which is kind of a unique program at NYU that split your major so that I did the same core curriculum as a music major and the same core curriculum as a business major, but didn't specialize in either, you know, so okay. I wasn't yeah, a, yeah. a finance major or an accounting major, and I wasn't an instrument specialist in music or a composition specialist. So I did the full core curriculum of business classes and stuff. And I did continue to do some, you know, MBA level classes while I was in grad school too. Um, I've always had a interest in background in entrepreneurial pursuits and stuff. So that's all very applicable to what oh, I yeah, do definitely. now. Do um, you still play uh, an instrument? What was your main instrument, I guess? A guitar. And I do. I'm nice. Reasonably competent, uh, mostly folk style uh, and blues guitar player. It's just a hobby these days, but... Um, it doesn't come into drafts development uh, frequently. 
it is a way I take breaks and think, uh, you know, I have a guitar hanging on the wall behind me. And uh, if I need to reframe a problem, I'll often stop and pick up the guitar and kind of pick away at it while I think. And oh, stuff. interesting. So, yeah. Uh, it's my fidget toy, I guess. <laughs> That makes sense. Well, it makes your brain like it fires up parts of your brain that are different. Um, kind of like taking a walk or whatever, where being out in nature or whatever it is can, I don't know. It's like shaking uh, the drawers loose to make something new fall out. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, career path wise, how I got from there to here is, you know, is somewhat unintentional, but I was always someone who did a lot of side projects and had interests uh, in stuff and was always teaching myself things. I published a magazine with a friend in the early nineties. We later brought it to the web. So I had to teach myself that stuff. Oh, wow. Like you had it printed and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was pre-web. We started it in 1990, I guess. So we, you know, physically produced an indie arts and music magazine and, and, you know, printed copies and distributed it through stores and, and stuff. Oh, wow. Um, so I taught myself desktop publishing at that time yeah. to do that. Um, and then we wanted to bring it to the web. So I taught myself basic web development, you know, in, in the mid nineties and, and started doing that. Um, and I was kind of also, I guess, I, I won't speculate on your age, but I think I'm at least a decade or two ahead of you. And when I was coming up through college and stuff, computers were still kind of finding their footing in business um, right? and, you know, and in schools and stuff. And I was kind of one of the most computer savvy people, even if that wasn't my background. So wherever I ended up working, which was usually in a lot of small organizations, I was working at small nonprofits or, uh, um, you know, I spent time at some record labels and things like that, that were all small organizations and everybody was scrapping to do whatever. And I was the guy who could figure out how to, you know, get the database to work and do a mail merge or, you know, and I was always looking for ways to make that simpler. So I was automating things and, uh, you know, getting more familiar with not having to do redundant tasks over and over. Right. And that, you know, became to, came to a point where I was working full time, um, at a manufacturing and distribution company that was in the process in the mid nineties of computerizing. And I was one of the people in house there who could figure it out. Um, and I just started one by one taking different tasks that they were doing on paper and automating them. I built them FileMaker databases and things to uh, automate order flow and keep up with inventory and do invoicing and stuff. Um, and that's kind of how I got more and more in programming till that's how I spent all my time at that job. Um, Fast forwarding a little bit, you can you can feel the uh, automation DNA uh, kind of coming through in your products too. Yeah, I mean, I came to software not out of an interest in programming per se, but out of an interest in solving problems. Yeah, you know, to uh, so my approach was always, you know, how can we use this computer as a tool to simplify things, to remove steps from a process, to make something more efficient. Um, so yeah, that plays into very much what I do with, with drafts now, um, and how it works and workflows for people and, and stuff. Okay. So you were doing that. Did this was in the nineties. So we have a little while till the iPhone. Did you like formally move into software engineering or whatever roles, or were you kind of doing that type of stuff before the, whenever the iPhone came out? Um, so by, uh, in the process from the 90s through the mid 
2000s. Uh, I kind of got more and more into software, um, doing some side projects. I did things just to entertain myself, like put out a shareware game um, mm. for the Mac, um, doing some web projects. And then I started doing some consulting on the side outside of my jobby job, um, pursued that for a while. And I got to a point in the mid 2000s where that company I was with, I had been there for 10 years. Uh, they had grown. I was, we didn't have a lot of formal titles. It was a family owned uh, regional business, but I guess I was CTO more or less of, of the company, but I had to split my time about half time between development and software things and administrative and support type of things, which I did not enjoy. So I kind of finally said, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to go independent. And I was in a pretty good position with them where I, you know, I wasn't too scared to go out and do it. I had young kids and stuff like that, but I was able to keep them as my major client um, mm, yeah. in the process. So I didn't go from a full-time job to nothing um, overnight. And in the course of the years that followed, I went independent and formed Agile Tortoise in 2006. Um, oh, so Agile Tortoise was the... Uh the independent, I guess, consulting yeah. shop. And I was full-time consulting, you know, doing hourly software development for a number of different clients. Um, at the time the app store came around, you know, but it's, what's the, what was the impetus for that name? Agile tortoise. Is that related to agile, the like agile manifesto, or is that something else? Yeah. I was just kind of playing on words. Agile was really big at the time. Yeah. A lot of the consulting I was doing was in Ruby on rails and, and stuff in its early days. So that had a good connotation. And then I've always loved turtles. I have one tattooed on my arm. They're kind of my spirit animal. Ah. Um, you know, I have, uh, they're what everyone gives me for Christmas is, you know, <laughs> little turtle things and stuff. I think I think I can see we have our webcams on next to your uh, what looks like a Mac Stories uh, award. Uh, it looks like there's some turtles on your shelf there. Is that right? Yeah, there's at least a dozen of them up, yeah. up there on the <laughs> shelf and stuff. So it was just kind of a pl and it, I thought it was a fun play. And it, it's also one of those things where you're looking for a domain name and combining two words yeah. is a good way to, to do it. And 2007, I'm surprised you didn't just rip out random vowels uh, as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but so that, you know, the app store came around and, and I fell in love with the iPhone. Obviously, I didn't buy one day one, but within the first six months, I had the first iPhone and I was, um, I had been a Mac guy since the nineties. A lot of my work wasn't, it was on Windows platforms and, and stuff. But personally, I was a, you know, I had, I had been using Apple machines for a long time. I grew up on PCs because my dad worked for IBM, but then, I think right around when Windows 95 came out and I tried to install it on my Dell 386 and went through hell with it and stuff. I was like, forget this. And I went out and bought a Mac and <laughs> hadn't, hadn't looked back. So, you know, I was intrigued by the App Store and, and started as soon as the SD came, came out, I downloaded it, started playing with it. Um, didn't do anything right away. And the first app I put in the App Store was uh, literally... Literally, all it did was launch, look up your location, and give you a button to redirect to a website in Safari with your location coordinates looked up on this uh, hobby site we use that uh, geolocation is important. But Safari didn't have APIs to look up location yet. Uh. 
<laughs> so that's all, that's all it did. That was literally the first app I just kind of uploaded as a test project, you know. And they let that um, into the store? They let it into the store back then. Different yeah. times. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So I toyed with that, not as a really money-making opportunity for a couple of years, but got more serious about it, spent more time with it, um, started doing some more apps and had some success. Um, my first really successful app was uh, Terminology, a dictionary app, which came out first for the iPad, actually, almost subsequent to the launch of the iPad. So I was in the store, one of the first apps in the store that was optimized for the iPad and really uh, built around being on the iPad. And it got some attention and got in the top 25 and, and stuff. And that made me think, hey, there's maybe actually an opportunity for this to be my career and stop doing the hourly consulting work, um, which I, which was fine. And I had good clients I liked working with and, and, you know, I didn't hate that process, but I never liked being tied to the hourly wage right. uh, situation. And uh, so I was trying to diversify. And then over time, the consulting just dropped off and I fired clients as I got more success in the app store. But it took years. You know, I've only for all that process, I've only been full time only on my apps for maybe four years now. Was um, that a goal? Like like Curtis Herbert, uh, who makes slopes, he's talked a lot about kind of the process of like off ramping from consulting work to product work. And like, that was like an intentional thing, but it sounds like for you at the start, it was like, you just kind of wanted to di diversify. Did you just really enjoy the app side more? Um, I, I did. Uh, I, the consulting I was doing was in a couple of different areas and I had a couple of big clients that I enjoyed. I worked on a K through 12 science curriculum website that was a lot of fun to work on. And, and I, felt was pretty impactful and stuff. But then a lot of the work I was doing was very tedious kind of enterprise development consulting on ERP software and, yeah. and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I could have lived without that because there were so many meetings and so much process and so many unhappy people involved in the process that it wasn't a joy to work on. <laughs> um, right. It had its moments. It had interesting challenges. And I learned a lot from, you know, working with learning about different businesses operations and how to smooth their stuff, but it wasn't what I wanted to do full time. So I, I was looking for ways to get out of that. And I was looking for more flexibility too. I mean, being indie, you know, as I said, when I started this up, I had young kids and stuff and it was great to be able to be working from home and, um, you know, not have to travel and not have, uh, specific time requirements where I could be there to go sit and eat lunch with the kids at the elementary school or walk them to school or, right. you know, all those kind of things that were important to me. So, so, so you had a successful iPad app, but this wasn't drafts. So was the idea that you were just going to keep coming out with apps and then drafts was one of those? Like, how did we get from there to drafts? I guess is what I'm driving at. Yeah. I mean, the app store was so different in that time and it still was really oriented around, novelty. So yeah, I was, okay, I'm going to make a new app, look for the next app idea, build that, go on to the next one. And, you know, drafts was the next idea and it just kind of stuck. And at first I didn't necessarily see it, you know, going on that long, but uh, it got a very fervent user base who really got the concept. And so I started spending more and more time on it. And it's been a process, you know, it's been 10 years and it's been through 
relaunching on new SKUs three times. It was a paid upfront app to begin with, and now it's a subscription. Um, you know, it went from being an iPad, iPhone only app to being iPad and now Mac and of course, Apple Watch and stuff. So it just built over time. And as I built it, it, I think it was a niche that lent itself to ongoing development. A lot of apps don't like you have very specific ideas like your app, uh, dark noise. It does what it does, but how much more, you know, you can make it better. You know, you can make it more interesting. You can improve the execution, but it doesn't necessarily need to do a lot more than it does. Um, and drafts was more open-ended because it integrates with a lot of different services. And I could always add new services to integrate with that would expand the app to a new market, uh, those kind of things. And what was that original idea then? Like, I know what it turned into, but at the beginning, what was the sort of, you know, pitch? Um, the rudimentary idea came to me, and I, th- I think I've told this story on a podcast before, but it literally was one of those light bulb moment kind of things where I was using my iPhone. I opened up an email message, created a new message, addressed it to my wife and started typing something to her. And I got a sentence into it and realized, ah, shoot, she's got to know this now. I need to text this to her. And that doesn't sound that bad, but that was actually kind of a pain. And I mean, the original iPhone didn't even have cut and paste. Right. It, it did <laughs> It did by this point, but I had to copy the text, you know, select it, copy the text, quit the mail, mail app, go find messages, launch it, find the right conversation, paste it in there and send it. And I was like, you know, I actually do that a lot. I have something I want to type and I don't necessarily know what I want to do with it yet. You um, start with the typing and then you figure out yeah. where it needs to and go. That was what drafts was about is here. I, I'm, I'm not going to have to go find the mail app and create a new message and address it or find messages and launch it. I'm just going to open and start to type and then do something with it. And that's how drafts started. The core concept is you launch the app and it opens up with the keyboard visible, ready to start typing in a new draft. Um, and then it gives you actions to send that somewhere, you know, to send it to messages or email. And the first version didn't do a lot. It had email, messages, Twitter, um, copy to the clipboard, you know, a few other actions like that. It didn't do that many different things. But it did remove a lot of friction from people who just wanted to, you know, you have ideas that hit you. You wake up in the middle of the night with a song lyric or something and you want to get it down. And there wasn't a good way to do it. You know, there, to open up your phone, you really had to think about it. There was a lot of cruft to get through to find the notes app, create a new note, you know, type and stuff. And I was trying to remove those barriers. Uh, so you could take your phone out of your pocket, get your idea down and put it back in your pocket. Um, you know, and it's for snippets and things you would write on post-its or grabbing someone's phone number or anything else you want to quickly type on your phone. It just, uh, a lot of people immediately saw the benefit of that. Um, and, and luckily I also have had some users along the way who were very good, uh, I don't know, advocates for the app. Um, and, you know, shared how they liked it, you know, people like David Sparks and stuff who communicated the benefit, um, in a way that really helped market the app, um, get traction. Yeah. It always seems like drafts, you know, I came into the iPhone late, as I've said a million times and drafts felt like an institution. Like I didn't know it was a one person shop for a while because it seemed like there was a bunch of people who, uh, 
were always talking about yeah. different setups you could come up with and they'd have like live streams or blog posts or whatever. Like it sort of felt like, and this was before, um, sort of this re explosion of notes, which I guess probably has a cycle and happens every 10 years or something, but where there's like, what's the one right now that everybody's talking about? Uh, obsidian, maybe or obsidian. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, there's sort of a fervent base or whatever drafts felt like it had that um it's it seems like it it talks to a specific type of user and the people who it works for it's just like this really awesome irreplaceable tool in their tool belt that's super super extensible yeah and i think in the early days when it was ios only and i was doing a lot with url schemes and you know came up with x callback url mostly to support drafts and make more things possible with drafts. There was a lot of people excited about that and sharing, hey, look what I could do on my iPhone. Yeah. Because there were things like shortcuts there and stuff. And I I always remember, I think it was kind of a watershed moment for drafts or and for the adoption of URL schemes in general. Alex from Mac Stories did a well, he wasn't with Mac Stories at the time. I think he was just in college or something, but he made a video of his iPad doing a series of URL actions. It was like 30 plus apps involved he he actually took the time to string together all these url actions and just like i think he took a video with his phone of his ipad running and flip-flopping between all these apps and it saved it out to dropbox and it tweeted it and it did all these things and it was like people watched it and it might in and of itself have been a ridiculous ex you know application of this stuff but it kind of proved the power of it and the possibilities um in a way that uh a lot of people said, oh, I need to start messing around with that stuff. That's going to save me some time and, and all. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the the sort of slow transition of, uh, you know, the iPad and iOS in general as a computer platform. Uh, what's a computer? Whatever. But like <laughs> showing that it can have a lot of that power that you're used to or at the time, especially you're used to being, that was the Mac thing. And then iOS was just these one-off apps that couldn't talk to each other. Yeah. And you were sort of showing the, and drafts seemed like it was one of the players drafts and workflow and a couple of those other apps sort of showing the way for like what could possibly be done. Yeah. And I love that all the way through that, it was a community effort because in order for any of that to work, apps had to adopt and implement their own URL schemes and, you know, support callbacks and stuff. So, you know, it was a community effort, both from developers and from users asking for this stuff, you know, and saying, Hey, can, can you add this to your app? And, and within, I'd say a couple of years there, um, like X callback went from nothing to to dozens, if not hundreds of apps having implemented it, you know, even, you know, Google put it in Google Maps and uh, and stuff. It started major players adopted this open protocol and it made it possible for something like Workflow to come along and, uh, and really take advantage of it. Yeah. So the like you said before, drafts was another one of these ideas of apps you were kind of coming out with. Was it, was it kind of immediately obvious that, you know, this, this was sort of running away and you needed to, to grab hold of it and write it for a long time? Or did you kind of, were you just thinking of the next app after that? And then you came back to it. I moved on to the next thing. I saw immediately that there was the opportunity to keep improving it, but I had no idea that it would get, you know, it took years to build enough traction to, 
be making enough money off of it to spend serious amount of time on it. So I had to come up with the next idea. And I did a few, a few more apps, none of which really worked well. I did a contacts app that I no longer sell because it just didn't really get traction. Um, and it was tough to maintain. So I did move on to doing other things. Um, but there were some obvious paths for drafts too, like bringing it to the iPad. And it is weird to look back at that time, but with the, the paid up front model, it was pretty hard to invest in an ongoing way in an app because you did launch and you'd get that uh, burst of sales and then things would drop off and there wasn't enough income to support the time you needed to spend to develop it. You had to invest in the future, hoping that that next upgrade you released was going to fare well, but that was not a great way to work from a, you know, income standpoint as an independent. Yeah. It puts a lot of pressure on that, uh, that big launch in the future. Yeah. And I went through several iterations, brought it to the iPad uh, and then did a major new SKU upgrade with drafts four, which I could say was probably 2014. And the iPad and this one, then you say new SKU. So that's like a new, new app in the store. Release in the app store. Yeah. Yeah. Had it reset all of your reviews, uh, any, you know, any links out there from old reviews on blogs, don't go to the right place, that kind of stuff. And it, 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 that was kind of a painful process, but worthwhile. And at that point, I thought, this is doing well enough. And we're getting into the time a year or two after that where subscriptions were starting to get more popular. Several indie apps had moved over to them. I'd kind of seen where they go. And I had a vision for how that could work with drafts as a platform. And that hopefully would enable me to work on it full time. And that was my goal. And I spent about a year and a half developing what would be released as drafts five in 2018, switching over to a subscription model. Um, And I felt like I had a vision for how that transition could go for drafts. Different people had done it different ways. Some uh, with a happier user base than others. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I had a vision that drafts, you know, could have a generous free to use layer that worked well. And because drafts, a lot of the vision of it takes people time to realize people don't necessarily download it and click with them. I've had a lot of users say, Hey, I had, you know, heard about drafts and I downloaded it. I didn't really use it or I just put some notes in it for six months. And then finally something clicked with me and I realized I could do these actions and stuff. So I wanted it to be in a position where people could keep using it for free indefinitely. Mm, yeah. Um, until it clicked and then they said, oh yeah. Um, and I'm still in a place where only about one in five regular drafts users is paying for the subscription. Um, but I still think that that's, I'm making enough from it to do it full time, which makes it a good solid business. There's a lot of opportunity for growth over time. And one in, wait, one in five people use who use free. it regularly? Wait, one in five like if I look at the stats of my active users, okay. I'm not I'm not great with analytics, but if I look no, at yeah. how many people are using it, in, you know, active devices in a 30 day period versus my number of subscriptions, I guesstimate roughly one in five regular users. That still seems pretty it. good. I was I was thinking like your conversion rate on 
downloads being 20%. And I'm like, oh, I'm uh, now I'm paid up front. So I don't actually know any of those numbers, but that sounded like crazy high. But even even 20% on active users seems pretty good. And I could, I obviously, I don't game the system. I could be aggressively trying to upsell people and right. stuff. And I don't, there's nothing in the app that ever interrupts you and tells you, Hey, you you should try drafts pro. Um, you know, I'm not being aggressive about stuff like that. So there's a lot of opportunities to convert those people, but, um, I, I'm, I'm happy to have them even if they're not currently paying me to use it because I think there's a time they will. Right. <laughs> you know, so, so how did you draw that line then? You like, it sounds like your goal was, for the people who it doesn't click with, you want it to be free for their use. And then once it clicks, there's something that would make it then where they would want to convert over. Right. And what I'd seen a lot of people in the early days of people switching over to subscriptions that the people who were getting the most blowback, I thought were doing things that made their app more or less impossible to use. Like, uh, on the free tier, whether it was, it was read only, you know, mm. you couldn't edit things. So, or it didn't allow sync, like sync was a paid feature. And I was using iCloud for sync. I'm not used running servers. I don't have overhead for that. And I understand why that makes sense for some apps, but it didn't for mine. Right. And, it, and it would have taken away the benefit of the app for so many people that it would have been too painful to use. And I wanted it to be something they could use. So, you know, you can download the app, you can create, edit your data, your drafts, um, you can run actions, but you can't edit them. You can't modify them um, mm. and create your own. You can't use themes. And there's more advanced features like workspaces that allow you to, if you're doing long-term storage in the app, if you're tagging your stuff and you want different views of it, you know, so there are advanced features that someone who comes to the app might not even look into or use for several months. So a seven day trial is not adequate. Um, right. So I decided to just make all that stuff free and, uh, you know, have the advanced features on and off with pro. But if anyone is ever pro and they drop off the pro for a year or a month or whatever, they don't lose functionality. They can still edit their content. They can still export it. They can still use the app um, and come back and maybe they'll, you know, in another six months, they'll re up their subscription because there's something they want to do. So they would just lose those advanced features, but it's not like, it's not like they've cut themselves off from all this data that they've been putting into it for however long they were paying. Right. Right. That makes sense. So I, I, I would say, you know, 80, 90% of the functionality is free. Uh, and it's mostly more advanced user kind of stuff. And I'm sure I have people who pay for the subscription and only do it to do an alternate app icon and use themes um, and don't edit actions. But, you know, that's fine too. Yeah, but it kind of goes with that same thing where it's like, those aren't necessary to get the, the main benefit of the app. But it's a, it's a nice perk for somebody who that's an important thing to them. But, mm -hmm. you know, not like totally necessary or whatever. Yeah. But back to where we got to this rebuilding into that subscription model took a year and a half. You know, I what, couldn't work on it full time. And I really did. I spent down savings doing that. I had to cut back my consulting mm, yeah. hours and not to nothing, but, uh, you know, in, to invest the time. And I, I really, it was kind of make or break. If the launch for the subscriptions in 2018 didn't do well, like I had 
a, probably a month or two runway to make judgment on how well that did. And then I was going to have to go back to either a full-time job or picking up consulting clients and stuff. Luckily it did work out. Um, and I'm still here doing it, but so it was a process. Yeah. So how did the, how did the lead up to that launch go? Like, it, it sounds like with the original apps you were doing, um, it was more like you were pushing stuff out there. Oh, uh, maybe actually, maybe not really. Were you doing a marketing push for the apps you were doing kind of including drafts whenever your, your model was just to put out new apps every however often? Um, in the early days, it was a lot of, uh, just knocking on doors and legwork. You know, I, didn't have a advertising budget. And mm -hmm. when I did mess with it, it wasn't that successful. I mean, running Google apps for ads or, or Facebook ads or whatever is not, it, it's not good enough. People, you don't get enough to pay for the ads, um, to make it worth it. So in the early days, I literally, I would launch an app or get ready to launch an app. And I would just sit down and write personal emails to every blogger I could find or journalists I could find who I thought overlapped, you know, right. if I w had an app like drafts coming out that was of interest to productivity people. I just Google searched for productivity blogs and went to the contact page and reached out directly to people sort and of said, shotgun. Hey, would you like to try this? Um, and all. And back in those days that actually worked pretty well. The press was still covering, you know, the launch of a new app actually got on sites as news. It doesn't now. Even the sites of the Apple community and stuff, there's not really, I mean, short of a famous app that launches a major new version or something, there's no articles being written just about, hey, new app came out. Yeah, um, I'd say nine to five, Mac Stories, iMore. Um, I apologize. There's definitely more, but like there's still uh, a beat for that, I guess. Yeah. But it's not the, I think once they shut down the, Apple shut down the affiliate uh link system where like they would get a cut of those it definitely seems like that gutted that industry to a degree yeah um, and so there's a lot less articles and and there's way more people writing apps competing for those fewer articles so it's definitely a harder and there's a lot there's a lot less novel concepts coming out you true know, that it, it it used to be a new to-do app came out and it had a new spin on something or whatever but it's been so long now we've gone through so many to do apps. There's not a lot of new novel spins. Somebody might execute it better or have some novel concept, but it's not like something that didn't exist before. Right. Um, that people get excited about. So these days, I, I mean, I transitioned more. I've always done some podcast advertising, you know, I do, um, but it's mostly word of mouth at this point. Um, and my own marketing channels, social media and stuff like that. And I've always spent, I've always felt like evergreen content was my best way to market the app. So I've always spent on things like, uh, making screencasts about mm. how to do some specific thing in app yeah. in the app, or I've hired writers to write how to articles on specific functionality and stuff, because I feel like those are the things that create the light bulb mo moments that earn me ongoing users. And they're not tied to a specific time and place. Once I've created that content, I mean, yeah, it does get stale because the app changes or whatever, but for the most part, it's something that's good for several years. Right. Um, and even if it's it, an old version, it, it can promote the concept of how to use it. Yeah. So where do you, where do you host that? Is that on 
like your app's blog or is that like you're paying somebody and they're hosting it on their YouTube channel or whatever? Um, it's been a combination. I mostly, I, I commissioned, like I commissioned a whole series of screencasts that David Sparks did for me, um, that I, I hosted, I had my own YouTube channel. I put them on, um, and linked to from, I have a user guide and, and that stuff. And I link to them and I try to periodically, you know, resend them out and make people aware of them who weren't before, but, um, mostly stuff I host. And I try to create some of that content myself. I'm not that I'm a very matter of fact writer and uh, not a great voice for screencasts, but I do some of it myself just because it's something different to do. Or, you know, I like to make short little tips and tricks yeah. type videos that um, help remind people or make people aware of some aspect of the app. They weren't um, to help keep them interested. Did you do a lot of that leading up to this subscription launch? Like it sounds like it was kind of make or break, did you do a specific marketing push or something with this with this launch or were you pretty much focused on you know the actual product itself i was pretty focused on the product and i also i launched it as a new SKU at that time as well okay. and i continued to maintain uh the previous version did did updates compatibility updates and stuff for a year I had enough of a user base there who had paid up front for the app that I didn't want to abandon them. Right. And a lot of people use it in workflows in ways that they didn't want their Apple cart tipped. You know, they, they wanted to be able to decide when they upgraded. Uh, so using the same SKU would have kind of given the new app to everybody all at once and would have made a lot of people angry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm curious, like, cause that's the thing I see lots of people talk about. Cause a lot of people, one of their first apps or whatever, kind of a similar thing like me with dark noise. It was a paid up front app because it was a side project thing. But if, if you ever wanted to change over to a subscription, it's, it's this sort of difficult decision that I assume you went through as well of like, do you give up all of the reviews, goodwill, maybe features in the app store, all of that stuff to make a new SKU so that, everybody who owns that previous version gets to just keep that previous version or do you try and develop you know an update that like the existing people get to keep all their new features but it's all on the same SKU, and so there's a lot of complicated code that goes with keeping everybody else happy um while also making it make sense for new people with the subscription yeah I was really worried about how apple would limit my ability to handle that transition to uh the it was always a question mark. I'm like, here's what I want to do within the limits of what the app store does, but will Apple let me do that? Cause you know, I uploaded new versions of the old SKU that I changed the name to legacy version. Yeah. I put a description in it that basically said, don't buy this, <laughs> you know? And I wasn't sure if Apple would let me do that. I was afraid, I was afraid they'd let me, uh, and I, it was still available for sale, uh, for, a considerable amount of time because I wanted those links to work and I wanted at least there, if somebody landed on that page, the first sentence in the description says, this is the retired version. Yeah. Please, please look at our other apps for the current version of drafts or whatever. Was there still a lot of sales of that? There was not, it dropped off pretty quick, but well, it was good. non-zero, yeah. a non-zero number. Um, I also wonder how many people who are 
very anti-subscription. That was almost a uh, a softer landing because it's kind of like whenever Adobe first started Creative Cloud and CS6 was still available and everybody just bought CS6 right then, you know, like yeah. the people who were the most upset, they had an answer if if they didn't like subscriptions, they could still buy that legacy version, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think I, I left it in such a way that I have not taken anything away from you. Right. Here I've offered this new app. It has all this new functionality. Most of what Drafts Pro unlocked were not features that existed in in the previous version. Mm. So it was all new stuff. Um, and I was also offering a way for you to upgrade and continue to use it for free. So even people who had bought it who didn't necessarily need those new or advanced features had a migration path that didn't cost them anything. And I continued to support. I left it in the store for about a year that I took it out of the store, um, but continued to support it for another year, the old version. So, oh, so you, you can push updates to versions that were pulled? <laughs> Sort of, you can push, <laughs> you can push updates to things you've removed from the store, but no one who has it installed will get the update to get the update. They have to literally delete the app from their iOS device and then go into their purchase history oh and redownload goodness. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, like you said, it's not necessarily Apple's intended. Uh... <laughs> yeah. You can't go to your purchase history and say, oh, there's an update available and update it. You have to delete it. Oh, and wow. That's weird. Update which is not a great solution for anybody. But <laughs> now how was the switching to a new SKU? I guess you'd already done this multiple times, but do you feel like you lost out a lot on uh, that goodwill or did quite a few people migrate and you built up new reviews relatively quickly that made up for it? I It went pretty quick for drafts. I think it had a, a, a loyal enough user base that there were at least a few thousand people who immediately jumped on the new version, were excited about it, uh, wrote reviews and stuff. And uh, it didn't take too long to get critical mass on the new SKU for the search changes to take place and stuff like that went pretty quick. Um, so it wasn't too problematic. Uh, I would say it took a year before I wasn't, you know, kind of getting a steady flow of support emails that were either people who were confused. And, and it was... It was a process. I was asking a lot of people because there was a data migration process and stuff. Mm, uh, right. Be, you know, I didn't just installing the new version didn't just bring over your stuff from drafts for. I used app groups to get access to that data and it had a migration assistant. And the first time you launched drafts five, it would look and say, hey, you have drafts four installed. Would you like me to migrate your data? Or you could choose to do it at a later time, but that would let people evaluate and all, but there was a process that if you wanted to bring over your data, you had to go through some steps, um, right? And and all, which was asking a lot of users. And I had some users who didn't bother to migrate; they you know started over, just started over in the in the new version and kept the old version installed to reference anything they needed to there for a while. Um, but it it went much smoother than I expected. Well, that's good. And it's been been a while now, so I don't. It's not fresh. Uh, I'm sure there were more pain points than I cho choose to remember. But, uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't too bad. I tried to make it as smooth as possible for people. Awesome. And then since then, um, I mean, as we've said multiple times, you are you are fully dedicated to drafts now, right? 
Pretty much. I mean, I still maintain a couple of my other apps, but I'm not actively developing new app concepts uh, or doing any side consulting or anything right now. I'm pretty much full-time on drafts. So it's fair to say the the switch to subscriptions did achieve what you were hoping it would? It did. And it, it I probably would not still be full-time on it if it also didn't give me the runway to implement new things, like most specifically the Mac app, which yeah. was a big missing piece in getting more people to use the app is they really wanted that stuff. They wanted their notes everywhere and they were using a Mac too. And and that that came a year after the subscription change. And I had rebuilt the app with the idea of going to Mac. So a lot of the core functionality was built to be cross-platform, but I hadn't actually built the Mac UI yet. Um, and that was a nervous time for me having publicly announced I was making this app, but having not yet made Ooh, it and yeah. not yet. And though I had done work with AppKit before, it wasn't, I'd never launched anything on AppKit and I didn't have that history. And so it was a bit of a nervous time getting from here to there, but, uh, but I did it and it's been, you know, I think it, that's made it a more complete platform and right. made it a more functional tool for more people that allowed it to grow to the level that really could be a full-time job for me. And you were able to deliver, I feel like that first year, especially after switching to subscriptions, it's like, you have to, you have to sort of earn that, that trust that like, yes, you're paying me recurring revenue, but also I'm using that to give you recurring value. Um, yeah, because before that you don't, you know, all the only trust you have is I've done this in the past with, with this app, with multiple other versions, but not necessarily in this, you know, capacity. Um, and so getting that Mac app out, probably, it sounds like that was the first sort of major additional feature. Um, yeah, I've been able to add a lot of stuff and, and it's been freeing moving to that subscription cycle is great. Every product probably approximately every two to three months, I have a feature release. Um, I switched to doing version numbers for, you know, just bumping the major version. It shipped as drafts five in 2018, and I switched over to just numbering, but I'm up to drafts 32 now. Mm. Um, and those are only, I only bump the major number for feature right. releases. You know, I'll do a 32.1 for bug fixes and stuff. Um, so I've been able to deliver on new things pretty consistently over the course of that time and working on it full time is a great way to do it. I have, I still have a long list of things I'd like to do in the app, some of which are, more advanced nerdy things, some of which are, are user facing features that, uh, you know, simplify the app, uh, you know, and, uh, make it easier to use in different areas. And I, I can keep doing that indefinitely. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how do you, um, well, I guess the first question is, do you focus on, on growth? Like, are those feature releases a thing that you, you market as a way to try and grow your existing uh, user base or is your focus on churn and just trying to keep, you know, the ones that you have? Um, I'd say most of my focus is on my existing user base. I, you know, Drafts has a great community, which is a big part of its success that, you know, has users who are always coming up with cool things to do in it or are asking me about things or have ideas, uh, you know, and I'm trying to make it more functional for those users, um, my existing users. And I think in that process, like we talked about earlier, I have a lot of free users who aren't paying for the pro version. And over time, as I add more and more functionality and more, uh, 
areas that it becomes more useful and a more central tool to someone who has been using it in a casual way and that's more likely to sell them on it. So I don't feel like I need to go outside of my existing user base much um, to try to grow the app at this point. That makes sense. I don't, I'm not a growth hacker kind of guy, <laughs> although I have a business background. It's not what I enjoy doing. So, um, I mean, there's certainly an argument I could choose to change the direction of the business and hire people to do those things and try to grow it. But I'm also not interested in, I, I like being a niche product. I'm not interested in growing it into the next Evernote or something like that. Right. You know, um, that's, that, that's not where my heart is. So <laughs> I didn't build this thing to have it head off in some crazy trajectory I'm not interested in. So. Yeah, that makes sense. So you don't, you don't, uh, or I guess, are there certain features that come out that you, you see as like, this is a big marketing opportunity and you kind of build a, a whole launch out of it? Or are you just kind of regularly pushing those features out? Obviously announcing it through your Twitter and everything, but do you treat any of them like, you know, the big launches or anything like that? Probably the most significant feature areas where I, do more of that outreach is like when I integrate with a new service, like I recently mm. added integration with notion. Um, and there's a user base out there for something like notion that is pretty big, pretty popular in yeah. a lot of places that, um, it's worth trying to get the attention of someone who might not have thought drafts was useful because it didn't integrate with notion. There's an opportunity to, you know, hit that new market and, I haven't done too much on it yet because some of these features also I I do build very incrementally. So here, let's see what I can do with Notion. I integrate the API with some basic features and then I'll give it a few months to say, we'll see how people actually use it um, and see what else they ask for. And then once I kind of perfect it and say, okay, those are the pain points. Those are the things that I need to improve. Once I think it's really good, then I'm going to spend a little more time to reach out to people who like Notion has an ambassadors program that's sort of their productivity blogger and mm. uh, evangelist community. And I'm going to reach out to more of those people and say, hey, look what you can do with Notion and, and drafts working together um, and try to get more, you know, attention in that community that way. Okay. But it's all very sense. incremental. I don't, I don't sit down and plan a, a big launch uh, type thing. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Like you're using the you're using the users that come on board and their requests as a as a way to sort of build out the roadmap. And once it starts feeling solid, that's when you you maybe push a little harder to try and you know now maybe it's more accessible to that that new group or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice, awesome. Well, um, I think we're we're getting kind of low on time here, so uh, I want to make sure I get in that question that I ask everybody at the end here. So. What is a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend others check out? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I always kind of look for inspiration outside of my normal uh, community. I mean, I, in terms of development in indie software, like a lot of the people you've had on this show are very inspiring to me. And I, you know, look as models to how to run my business and stuff. But I also kind of look, especially in the arts and stuff. I, I mentioned I grew up in the DC area. I was very into DC punk and hardcore and the kind of do it yourself attitude that came out of their discord records and stuff. And people just, uh, looking to, do different things in their genre and not feeling 
uh, tied to expectations. I'm really into music, so it's a lot of musicians. I look at their careers who who say, I don't have to do what uh, um, they told me I have to do. Like Mike Doty's a great example of that. I don't know if you know who he is. Mm-hmm. He was a lead singer of a pretty popular band called Soul Coffee in the 90s uh, indie rock band. But he is exemplary of what you can do as an indie artist now. Instead of trying to get the next record out and in a market where records don't sell that well and stuff, he's moved over to Patreon and he issues his music to, you know, his supporters. He's built a niche community. You know, he's never going to be the next Billie Eilish or something. He's an indie artist, but he's found a way to build, you know, outside of the normal area. And it's the same kind of thing people who are inspirational through like the hardcore community, like Fugazi, who said, we don't have to, you know, we want everybody to be able to access our shows. So we're not going to let the venues, everything's $5. It's all ages. And if you don't accept that, we won't play your venue. (laughs) You know, they can make decisions like that, that are counter to the flow of the industry. Now, I I, I should have had more specific examples ready, but uh, that, that's the kind of stuff I always look for is people doing something different in their uh, business or personal life that doesn't lock them in. I like that. Like it, it kind of fits with what you were saying earlier, which is if you're, if your goal isn't growth or, or, you know, making this, this giant thing, if your goal is like, you just want something sustainable that you can enjoy you can think about things differently. Yeah. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to focus on like most of the industry is focused on surviving or growing to be the, the giant thing. And if you, if you're on that trajectory where you could grow to a giant thing, but that's not something you care about. There's off ramps that are a little bit less, uh, worn paths that you could potentially, you know, show the light on for, um, a way to have a sustainable business, that doesn't have all the same, you know, pitfalls of, of trying to make something gigantic. Yeah. And if you look for inspiration from outside of your normal area, you tend to be more creative about what you can do too. I don't, if you look at just, here's what these three people did in the app store. Therefore, those are my three choices. I can do this, that, or the other thing. And that's not always true. There's always more possibilities, you know, right. A lot of people tell you how you got to spend your time trying to court Apple to, uh, promote your app and feature it in the app store. And I waste zero time on that because I don't think it's important to my app. <laughs> you know, I mean, it would be nice if, if Apple threw me up there on the first front page of the app store occasionally, but it's not where it, it's a black hole to spend your time on. Cause right. they don't give you feedback. And even if, you know, you can't rely on that. And if you don't have a backup plan, then um, you're wasting your time. So look at other marketing channels, look at what people are doing in web SaaS or in, you know, other areas to, to draw inspiration. Yeah, exactly. I like, I'm a big believer in uh, the most interesting things come from like mashups of two other genres of things like with food. Some of the most interesting food things are when somebody from India moves to, uh, Portugal and then like the fusion of those two ideas come together mm-hmm. and that's where something new comes out. Um, and I think that absolutely applies to business as well. Like when you have somebody from one industry move to another industry and bring some of those ideas and obviously they kind of clash with each other, but sometimes they, they come together to make a new flavor. That's really exciting and new. Yeah. 
absolutely awesome well uh thank you so much for uh coming on and <laughs> enduring the constant scheduling switches that i i put you through um no problem this was like really really fun i, I appreciate you coming on yeah i'm glad to do it it's great to talk about stuff um where can people find you and drafts um get drafts.com um will lead you to all the various links and resources for drafts i'm at agile tortoise on twitter um and uh, please reach out if you have any questions. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. Launched.fm.